I want to begin this sermon with a warning. (laughs) By word count, number seven is the third longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's surpassed only by 1 Kings 8 and Psalm 119. Which if you've looked at Psalm 119 lately, it's 176 verses. This is not that. But it is the third longest chapter in the scriptures. Now, if somebody became a new preacher at a church and they said to me, should I preach number seven at my new church? I would say, you need to wait at least 10 years before you do number seven. (laughs) But if you've been there around that long, give it a go. See how it works. See if they come back. Um, I I do want to give you, I do want to make some literary observations about the chapter that I think will help us mentally situated. The first thing I want you to notice is in chapter 7-1, we're going to be given a flashback. I know that we've been moving chronologically. Numbers 1 through 6 has unfolded very nicely in time, picking up where Leviticus left off, which picked up where Exodus left off. But chapter 7-1 says, on the day when Moses finished setting up the tabernacle. Well, that's been a while ago. Like Exodus 40 a while ago. The first thing to notice about this chapter is it does not pick up chronologically from the end of 6. It's going to flash back for a bit, and it's going to make some observations about what happened beginning the day of the tabernacle's uh, setup. The second thing I want you to notice is the fittedness of its placement, which is not for a chronological purpose. We've covered that in point 1. But rather for a theological purpose. It follows the very beautiful and moving blessing of Aaron and the priests toward the people. Chapter 6, 22 to 27 gives that Aaronic blessing. And now, in chapter 7, attention is given to the altar. The most important work for the priests is that they not only bless the people of God with the words of God, but mediate at the altar for the people of God. Priesthood and altar go very tightly together. We should notice that this is the case then. A blessing that the priest would pronounce at the end of 6 and now at the beginning of chapter 7. The altar at which they would mediate and intercede with sacrificial work. The last thing I want to notice about its literary placement is that here in chapter 6, 22 to 27, there's a blessing pronounced from God to the people through the words of these priests. This is like a response to God's goodness and blessing. Think of this as the people wanting to respond with blessing and adoration and thanksgiving to God. So the end of chapter 6, words of blessing and graciousness and shining rays of God's countenance upon the people. And now what would a people, what ought they to be eager to do? And chapter 7 speaks of the, the uh, dedication uh, of the altar and the response of the people with very lavish gifts. Um, So chapter 7, I want to look in verses 1 to 9 with you. On the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils, the chiefs of Israel are going to do something. Well, verse 1 tells us this is the day of the tabernacle's setup. Exodus 40 gives us that language. It happened on the first day of their second year as a people. First day of the first month of their second year. That's exactly where chapter 7-1 is going to transport us backwards. So flashback here. 
Uh, you might have had the occasion to welcome somebody into your neighborhood. A house was set up maybe, or a house that had been vacant was occupied, and you think, all right, I want to I wanna bring... I want to bring them something, maybe a, uh, some dessert or a meal or a, or a plant or some sort of housewarming gift. What if we were to consider, to a degree appropriate here, that chapter 7 is a welcoming or a hospitable declaration and response to the reality of God in the midst of the people. He has, if you will, moved into the neighborhood And what I mean by this is the locus of his presence has been manifested with glory and thunder and cloud and power on both Sinai and now the tabernacle in Exodus 40. This is a warm, celebratory, pomp and circumstance response. But what do you bring the one who knows and has everything already? Okay, that's, that's a little bit of a problem. But nonetheless, a, a celebratory, lengthy welcome uh, to the one who is their king. In this chapter, the 12 tribes of Israel are going to um, celebrate the dedication of the altar with various things related to the altar. The, the, the objects we're going to read about tonight are not irrelevant. They actually are directly relevant to the acts with the altar that the priests will perform. Along with what's happening with the setup of the tabernacle, there's the beginning of these laws in Leviticus 1.1, the offerings that are going to be uh, spoken about in number 7, the ordination of the priests from Leviticus 8. In the first day of the first month of their second year, a lot has been going on. It requires you to just pull from multiple passages, though, from Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. But that brief little review there, the setup of the tabernacle, the filling of it with glory and cloud, the beginning of the offerings laws, as well as the celebration of the altar, there's a lot happening. It's a big day. Okay, so in the second year of Israel as a nation, on the first day of their first month, this is a big day. This is like... Everybody's off work. Everybody is gathering together. The encampment is alive and vibrant with excitement. God is among sinners. And in verse 2, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their father's houses, who were, with the, uh, who were the chiefs of the tribes, who were over those who were listed, approached. And they brought their offerings before the Lord. These are very practical for what we've seen already in Numbers. Here's what's coming. Six wagons. 12 oxen, a wagon for every two of the chiefs, one each for each one an ox, and they bring them before the tabernacle. It tells us in verse four, the Lord says to Moses, you need to accept these from them. So there are 12 tribes in Israel and the heads of these tribes are bringing some oxen and some wagons. How is that helpful? Well, remember, the tabernacle has to be transported. And there is a lot to take down and a lot to set up. And it's not going to be logistically or practically helpful if everybody has to carry everything with their hands. What we're told in verse 6 is that Moses took the wagons. Oh, well, verse 5 says, accept these from them that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting and give them to the Levites to each man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon. Levi had had three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And those sons had many descendants that are among those Levites in the days of of, uh, Numbers. 
And those various clans are going to have different responsibilities for the tabernacle transportation. Uh, back when we were looking at Numbers 3 and 4, it was important for us to learn together. You don't get volunteers from the Levites. Who wants to carry the ark today? Uh, who wants to go and impact the lampstand? Who wants to take down the linens and the bases? All of it is actually quite specified with incredible detail. And some of these descendants are going to get some help from some wagons and oxen. So in verse 6, two wagons and four oxen. In verse 7, go to the sons of Gershom. In verse 8, four wagons and eight oxen are given to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Now you might say, wait, if I look at what's just been given, wagon-wise and oxen-wise, that's all that the tribal heads brought. What about the other sons? In verse 9, maybe you remember that the sons of Kohath have to transport everything by hand. And the sons of Kohath have a very specific role of transporting the holy things. We're talking about the altar of the bronze altar of sacrifice in the courtyard. We're talking about the golden altar of incense inside the tabernacle. We're talking about ultimately the Ark of the Covenant, which is going to be covered by the veil. They carry all of that and they don't get any wagons or any oxen. They carry it all on poles on their shoulders. It says, to the sons of Kohath, he gave none because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder. So Numbers 3 and 4 gives you some transportation information and order. And we're told here in Numbers 7, hey, some of those descendants get some wagons and some oxen. Well, that's helpful because there's a lot of poles, there's a lot of uh, structure, there's a lot of frames, and they're not going to have to carry that by hand. But if you're the sons of Kohath... And you are dealing with the most holy and consecrated vessels in the tabernacle. No wagon for you. No oxen for you. You get poles that are run through the loops and that have been uh, fashioned with it. And they're on your shoulders for the whole journey to your next spot. Okay. So those first nine verses introduce us to some provision of wagons and animals. And the practicality is they're not staying at Sinai. They're going to move. So when they move, this is going to help them move the tabernacle. Then in verses 10 and 11, there's a call for offerings. The chiefs offered offerings for the dedication of the altar on the day it was anointed. And the chiefs offered their offering before the altar. The Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offerings one chief each day for the dedication of the altar. Well, I told you that the altar was a big deal. The priests are going to administer the sacrifices but they're not looking at their watches thinking, all right, let's give a couple hours of attention to the altar and then we're going to move on with the rest of the encampment. If you noticed here the specific um, amount of time, it said one chief will bring their altar per day, their offering per day to the altar. Well, there are 12 tribes. This is a 12 day giving offering this is like the 12 days of christmas but not okay everybody is on the first day of christmas on the first day of giving somebody's bringing something and there are 12 of these 12 days and you might say well wait you know what if the the first one didn't uh, take very long can't we get a second one in in that day no you cannot and thanks for asking though um you you get one per day and so it will be a 12 day ordeal by god's own instruction that's what he says in verses 10 and 11 and in these 12 days of giving, there is a lot of repetition. Now, that's going to help us in one sense, because you're going to get a rhythm going. Eventually, you'd be able to look up from your text and you'd be able to say it with me like we were catechizing one another. Um, the repetition 
is for a purpose. You might have said, why, why didn't they just give the first day's dedication and say, with one verse, and everybody did the same thing in successive days, period, you know? It's a long chapter, third longest in the Bible, I told you. Um, this repetition has several reasons for it that we could speculate. First of all, no tribe is ignored with the detail and accounting. It's not as if we'd say, well, we gave two or three tribes some attention and some accounting here. Let's just lump all the other ones in in one broad summary statement. Instead, as one writer put it, the repetition demonstrates that worship was for every tribe and every tribe supported the worship of the tabernacle. And it's clear with the detail. There's no mistake there. The people from, in, from Dan or Naphtali's descendants wouldn't be able to open the Torah and say, I guess we don't really matter. They sort of lumped us in in some broad summary statement. No, every single tribe in their support of the tabernacle's altar gets highlighted. I also want to notice here that um, the repetition highlights the importance of the altar. The holy vessels stood apart as consecrated instruments. But part of the daily life of Israel was going to that altar. Part of the administration of offerings after your period of uncleanness ended was going to the priest to be pronounced clean and offering a sacrifice to that altar. That altar was the busiest place in the whole sacrificial system. That means when you read a chapter that's as long as this, you might think, oh, that's a lot of repetition. And there, there's a lot of uh, patterns that are just going over and over again. The emphasis must be then on the importance of that object in the language of the people of Israel. The altar was not just anything in the camp. Okay, It's not like they chose somebody's household somewhere in there and chose some heirloom off the shelf and said, let's write a lot and say a lot about that. This is the bronze altar in the courtyard of the tabernacle. And it warrants this kind of attention. Now, day one begins with a, a reference to the day and the name. He who offered his offering the first day was Nashan, the son of Amminadab of the tribe of Judah. Here's what I want you to know about these names. These names, Nashan, we've seen before, but it was in Numbers chapter 1. That felt like a long time ago. That was like May. All right, so that Numbers chapter 1 had a census of names who would be the heads of the, of the tribes. That's these names that you're going to read here. But then there's the tribe itself, the tribe of Judah. This tribal order is the order in Numbers 2 that they will march. And it's in the order of a clockwise movement around the tabernacle. I know Numbers 2 has been a while, but just to remind you, in Numbers 2, they started identifying which tribes were where. And they started on the east, moved to the south, moved to the west, moved to the north in a clockwise fashion. All of those tribal or, that tribal order is the exact same in Numbers 2. And uh, here's what we're told. Verse 13. His offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels. A shekel is a manner of determining weight. We don't measure things by shekels, so I'll explain this in just a minute. One silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense. Now let's pause for a second. Even as I'm reading this, my mind's trying to keep straight. What am I looking at here? Well, on the board to the far right, I've laid out here what we're looking at. One silver plate 
it would weigh about three pounds if you convert shekels to pounds, which I know you're already doing in your head, but I'm just getting ahead of you. Um, One silver bowl, I'm calling it a bowl, silver basin, bowl, tomato, tomato, same thing. All right, so one silver basin, 70 shekels, that's about two pounds. One golden ladle. When it refers to a golden dish, this refers to something that scoops, like a ladle or a scoop, and, uh, or a spoon. So a golden ladle or spoon, and that weighs about four ounces. So that's not very much. One golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, or golden ladle. Full of incense, though, that's interesting. If I look at, if I look at these um, ingredients here, it's got flour in these plates and bowls. And in the golden ladle, there's incense. All of this, these are specific ingredients for a grain offering. In fact, that's what we're told at the end of verse 13. It's mixed with oil for a grain offering. This is Leviticus 2. In Leviticus 2, you will hear about fine flour and frankincense mixed together for an offering. So what are they doing with a plate, a bowl, a ladle? They're bringing that, but not empty. They're bringing it full of flour. And they're bringing it with spice, some incense. And they're doing it for a grain offering. Not only are they bringing flour, they're bringing some animals. Let's look at the next part, verse 15. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. All those animals. You see that there? One bull, one ram, one male lamb. That's for one specific offering in Leviticus. And then we're told in verse 16, one male goat for a sin offering. That's another offering from Leviticus. For the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. It's a lot of animals. But each of these kinds of offerings, this is what I want to emphasize. Grain offering, burnt offering, sin offering, uh, and what was the other one? Peace offering. All of these are from Leviticus. These names take you there. And it says at the end of verse 17, this was the offering of Nashan, the son of Aminadab. All right, so what we've got then is they're bringing grain and animals to offer what Leviticus says to offer as one approaches God. And the altar is being celebrated with this very lavish amount of gifts. I mean, think about it. One of the offerings involves five rams, five lambs at the bottom. These are, these are very important animals to the economy of their agricultural life. And these are being brought by this tribal head. Now notice in day 2, verse 18, on the second day, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, the chief of Issachar, so that's tribe number 2 there, he made an offering. He offered for his offering one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish or spoon of ten shekels full of incense. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering and for the sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Nethanel, the son of Zuar. Now, already your eyes might be thinking, all right, is there a pattern being established here? Let's check with day three. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, the chief of the people of Zebulun, tribe number three. His offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl or basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And both of these objects full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. 
One golden dish or ladle of ten shekels full of incense. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. Verse 29, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. All right, now look here. They're all offering the same thing. All right, well, that's hugely helpful. Everybody gets one silver plate among the tribal heads that they're bringing. It weighs the same amount of shekels. It's got the same content mixed with oil for a grain offering, as well as the silver basin or bowl, the golden ladle full of incense, and then the burnt offering, sin offering, and peace offering, um, which is what those respective animal groups have. So three of the 12 tribes are all bringing the same thing. It tells us in verse 30, on the fourth day, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, the chief of the people of Reuben, here's number four, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver basin, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Hmm, I wonder what they're full of. Both of them full of fine flour. I wonder what they're mixed with. Oil for a what? A grain offering. One golden dish of 10 shekels full of uh, incense. A bull from the herd, a ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. A male goat for a sin offering. For the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Eliezer, the son of Shadur. So already we might think, all right, writer of the Pentateuch, we get the point. All right, we looked at four different days. They're all bringing the same thing. But again, again, no tribe minimized to say, well, you know, if we really detail the tribe here and then not for this tribe, it's for good reasons. Or each of these, the support, the aid, the celebration, it's pomp and circumstance. We're looking at all of this. This took place over 12 days. So they are welcoming the arrival of the tribal heads with any other people who've congregated with them. And they're bringing this grain, they're bringing these vessels, they're bringing these animals, and they're offering it on the altar. It tells us on day five in verse 36, on the fifth day, Shel, uh, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai, listen, I'm doing the best I can with these names. Uh, you're you're uh, being very, very uh, kind and hopefully tracking with me on these names. The chief of the people of Simeon. His... Uh, Offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one golden dish of 10 shekels full of incense, and now the animals. Verse 39, one bull from the herd, ram, male lamb a year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Shalumiel, the son of Zerishadai. On the sixth day, verse 42, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, the chief of the people of Gad, number six here, his offering was one silver plate whose weight, 130 shekels. One silver bowl or basin, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. What are they full of? Fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. And then one golden spoon or ladle for 10 shekels full of incense. And then the animals. One bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burn offering. One male goat for a sin offering and for the sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. You know, what comes to mind are graduation ceremonies. 
And if you've been to a graduation ceremony for a large school, can you imagine if they said, we're going to read four or five names, and then we're just going to say, and everybody else, you just get your degree. Now, there might be some schools that do that. I've attended a lot of graduation ceremonies. And they can be quite long. But one of the values in that ceremony is you recognize the accomplishments and the contributions of each person in that graduating class. And so people applaud and they rejoice and they listen to the different departments and programs and degrees as names are read. I think of something like that here. And maybe you've been at those ceremonies where you've thought, okay, you know, I'm here for one or two of those names and then there's the rest of this as well. Okay, fair point. But don't miss the whole design of the ceremony. It is to bring honor and celebration to all of those names that are there because they all matter. When we read this pattern of repetition, every tribe matters. Everything they bring matters, especially because they believe the altar matters. Verse 48, on the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amahud, the chief of the people of Ephraim, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. And then there's the sin offering, one male goat. Peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five lambs a year old. This was the offering of Elisha, the son of Amahud. And I think what's helpful in noticing this pattern is that the order is the same in the sense of grain offerings and then the animal offerings. Then the order of the animal offerings is the same. Burn offerings, sin offering, peace offerings. And the number of each of these offerings given is the same. So the repetition, yes, it's there. But every single detail finds its way reiterated. In verse 54, on the eighth day, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, the chief of the people of Manasseh, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish of ten shekels, full of incense. One bull from the herd. One ram. One male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. Verse 59, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. Now, Don't look at your text. Verse 60. On the ninth day, Abadan, the son of Gideoni, the chief of the people of Benjamin, his offering was one silver what? Plate. Whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver basin weighing 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for what kind of offering? Grain offering. One golden dish of 10 shekels full of Incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for a burnt offering. offering. There he goes. One male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, a year old. This was the offering of Abadan, the son of Gideoni. This seems like a good point to talk about American Ninja Warrior. And what this. This TV show um, comes to mind when I think about a passage like this because our family will sit around and we'll be looking at the next episode for season 14, which is on right now. And um, 
And something that I notice is, look, you only have 90 minutes to air all of the runs of these athletes who go through all these incredible obstacles. And sometimes an entire five-minute segment will be devoted to an athlete. And they're going through, and the backstory is impressive, and the whole run from start to finish is given. And then other times, there might be an athlete who's run this a couple years, and they'll, be, they'll come back from commercial. They'll be in the middle of his or her run, and then they'll just give a few edited clips. And when I think about this, uh, when I think about number seven, I think about how there's no editing going on here or condensing of the material. I think about how every tribe's run, if you will, is recorded for us. All of the accounting is there. All of the numbers are present. Every single thing included. And uh, that's just the way it is. In verse 66, on the 10th day, uh, Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai, the chief of the people of Dan, his offering was one silver plate whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of seven. 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old for a burnt offering. Verse 70, one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five lambs a year old. This was the offering of Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, on the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Akron, the chief of the people of Asher, his offering was one silver plate, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver basin of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both full of fine flour, mixed with oil, for a grain offering. And one golden dish of ten shekels full of incense, and now the animals. Verse 75, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb a year old, all for the burnt offering. One male goat for the sin offering. For the sacrifice of the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, I'm sorry, two rams, five male goats, five male lambs a year old. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Akram. And on the twelfth day, on the twelfth day, verse 78, Ahira, the son of Enan, the chief of the people of Naphtali, now, can you just imagine the anticipation? They'd been at this for days. How many oxen and offerings and incense being gathered? And now it's the twelfth day. And Ahira comes up. He's the tribal head for the people of Naphtali. And his offering was one silver plate, weight 130 shekels. A silver bowl, 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. They are not empty. They are full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. He's got his golden spoon, 10 shekels, full of incense. And then the animals, one bull from the herd, one ram, one male lamb, a year old for the burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five lambs a year old. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enon. Twelve days. And you're probably wondering, what if we added all of that together, though? What if we looked at these different uh, items and we thought, all right, well, that's how much was individually given, but add it for us, Bible. And verse 84 says, this was the dedication offering for the altar on the day when it was anointed. From the chiefs of Israel, 12 silver plates. How did they get 12? Well, one silver plate a day, right? 12 silver bowls, 12 golden ladles, each silver plate weighing 130 shekels, each basin 70. All the silver of the vessels, 2,400 shekels of weight, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twelve golden dishes, full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the dishes, a hundred and twenty. You see, all they're doing is multiplying the ten shekels per golden spoon by the twelve tribes. Ten times twelve is one twenty. 
In verse 87, here is the animal breakdown. All the cattle for the burnt offering, 12 bulls, 12 rams, 12 male lambs a year old for the uh, burnt offering. 12 male goats for the sin offering. All the cattle for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, number 24 bulls. 60 rams, 60 male goats. I mean, these are, these are herds of animals. And the male lambs a year old, 60 as well. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. One verse remains, but I want to pause here for a second because, look, we've looked at a lot of text. And I've tried to break it up a little bit with both serious and some, some light remarks. But at the same time, the pomp and circumstance of these 12 days of celebration is warranted in the life of the Israelites because of how important the bronze altar is. It's not just any old item in Israel's camp. This is the place of sacrifice, and grain and animals will be offered there, blood shed there. That altar will be a very bloody place by design. And the wages of sin is death. And the bronze altar is a symbolic witness to that fact. Of the alienation of sinners and the reconciling grace of God where he welcomes them to come but with a substitute in their place. All of these things full of gospel shadows and overtones. Good news. God welcomes you and you won't be the one on the altar. He will receive this in your place as a sweet aroma. So this altar does warrant this lengthy chapter in the mind of the biblical author. And as this lengthy mathematical and numeric record is given, well, listen, the book is called Numbers. It's called Numbers. And what did you find when you get to chapter 7? Well, you get a lot of numbers. And this is not just a census. There's all sorts of weights and the numbers of kinds that are given of the goats and the rams. And yes, the detail is a lot. If we were trying to summarize a celebration, we would probably approach things differently from our perspectives and in our modern era. This is a very ancient way of record keeping. So that posterity would know every tribe did the same thing. Nobody was like, yeah, I mean, I think enough oxen have been given. We're going to really fudge on this. No, 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 no. Every tribe brought the exact same thing over a 12-day period to celebrate the dedication of the altar. That's amazing. That's amazing. And we're celebrating. And in verse 89, what's it all for, though? Well, the altar and the other holy vessels are all associated with the reality of God who's come to make known himself to these people. And in verse 89, when Moses went into the tent of meeting, that's another phrase for the tabernacle. When he went into this tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. And it spoke to him. This verse is referencing... What's behind the veil? The Ark of the Testimony can sometimes be called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box overlaid with gold, and it had a lid. And the lid was sometimes called the mercy seat. When it tells us that the voice spoke over the mercy seat between the cherubim, the top of the lid had golden cherubim, these angelic figures fashioned out of it. These weren't living cherubim. Though this is a callback to Eden, where cherubim guarded people from the presence of God. And here, Moses is welcomed to the presence of God, from which a voice comes to reveal and disclose and instruct. 
This is an incredible moment. Because 12 days earlier, before all of the pomp and circumstance of these nearly two weeks of celebrations, it tells us in Exodus 40 that the glory of the Lord in the cloud filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter it. If you read at the end of Exodus 40, he remains outside, but only for 12 days. The altar has been established and celebrated. The offerings have been brought by the tribal heads and with, I think we should imply by implication, the celebratory and inclusive awareness and desire of the people of Israel. And God has made himself known. So as Moses enters the tent of meeting, this is like going up Sinai. Because prior to the tabernacle, the voice of the Lord was spoken to Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, where Moses would go to the top and no others. In fact, most of the people of Israel were not to be on the mountain. There was a select few that went about halfway up. But the instructions were for the Israelites to remain at the base. What if we were to think of the tabernacle as like a portable Mount Sinai, where there are gradations of access And Moses alone ascends to the top to hear the voice of the Lord. If you will, it's like going to the top of Mount Sinai, going into the tabernacle where God will speak. But the people of Israel, they are removed from that tabernacle entrance. They are in the encampment. It's like the base of Mount Sinai all over again. So while they will leave Sinai, in a very important sense, the glory and wonder and power of Sinai goes with them in the tabernacle. Because what made Sinai a place of revelation and power and thunder and majesty was the Lord. Not the height of the mountain or its foliage. The burning bush on this mountain in Exodus 3 was was remarkably and, uh, and memorably such because the Lord's presence was represented by it. And here you see the same thing with the tabernacle. It's now at the center of Israel's life. These 12 tribes are all encamped around it, three on each side. And with an Eastern emphasis, recalling that the God that sin separates from outside Eden is the God who pursues sinners with all his thunderous majesty. But if they are to approach him, if they are to worship him, if they are to come to him and not be destroyed... They must come as sinners on the terms he has laid out. For he, the Lord thy God, is holy, holy, holy in their midst. And the wonder of this in verse 89 is that God speaks to Moses. And Moses will relay to the Israelites more instruction. This is exactly what Exodus told us would happen. You have to go all the way back to Exodus 25, verses 21, when he says, in constructing the mercy seat and the ark, you shall put the mercy seat, or the lid, on top of the ark. In the ark, put the testimony I give you. The testimony is the Ten Commandments. That's the shorthand way of referring to the Ten Commandments. The testimony, or the ark of the covenant. Because it represents their relationship together. It's the pledge that they will worship the Lord their God and have no other gods before them. That they will not make any images. They will not take his name in vain. They will remember the Sabbath. And not only in loving the Lord, they will love their neighbor starting with father and mother. They are committed to know and follow Yahweh. And he makes himself known to them. Right there between the two cherubim, a voice to Moses. Now, this is... A temporary establishment. Because though Moses approaches the Lord, 
the day would come when the tabernacle would be replaced by the temple, much more permanent and solid in Jerusalem, built by Solomon in the 900s B.C. And then there would come a day when somebody would say something in the first century Roman Empire, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up. That's in John chapter 2. But in order to get to those sayings of Jesus in John 2, you've got to go right through John 1.14, which says the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The glory and wonder of the tabernacle and sacrificial altar and animals and all of that is that these are gospel signs and shadows embedded in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in Jesus. And don't take my word for it, only listen to Hebrews 13. You know number 7 makes a big deal out of the altar. This is 89 verses in the chapter. Third longest in the Bible. Hebrews 13 says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. The writer says, The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, they're burned outside the camp. The writer says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. You see, the Old Testament makes a big deal out of the altar. And the New Testament makes a big deal out of Jesus. Because Jesus fulfills everything in number 7. Jesus is the heartbeat and vibrant life of the community of the people of God. He is the altar which Hebrews 13.10 speaks. The writer says, we have an altar. And he doesn't mean the tabernacle and the temple one. The temple veil had already been ripped decades earlier at the death of Jesus. Something greater than the bronze altar is here. Jesus is the place or person of sacrifice. There's no animal brought to the cross. Jesus himself is the offering. But not a goat, not a lamb, not a ram. No grain in bowls, a silver plate. The Son of God, His incarnate body, given as a perfect Passover sacrifice. All of this is heading to that. Let's pray.